Kentucky Court Furniture Clearance Center for up to 70% off new retail prices. Stock is updated regularly, so you never know what kind of treasures you'll find. We offer a wide variety of stylish furniture for any budget, and every piece is court certified, so you can let your personality show in every room. And now through April 3rd is our tax refund sale. Mention refund 25 and take 25% off living room and dining room beds. Use your refund and refresh your home with stylish finds from Court Furniture Clearance Center. Go to courtclearancefurniture.com today. You're listening to a Castaway Media Podcast. Find more great shows at castaway.media or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash castawaypodcasts. Welcome to Fair Game, an all-new fortnightly podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen. I'm Elaine Buckley. And I'm Emily Glenn. Over the course of the series, Fair Game will be tackling the many issues that impact women's sports in Ireland. From grassroots development to sponsorship opportunities to sport as a sustainable career and everything else in between. Fair Game will be an open forum for discussion with our country's trailblazing athletes, journalists and leaders. Whenever there's a discussion about women's sports or sports women or women in sport, however you choose to phrase it, all roads inevitably lead back to one thing, media coverage. Why can't people rattle off starting lineups of women's teams the way they can men's? Not enough media coverage. Why do female athletes not get the level of sponsorship that they deserve? Not enough media coverage. Why are attendances at women's sporting events so low? Not enough media coverage. And so on, so forth. It's a bone of contention for many. However, here on Fair Game, rather than scapegoating media coverage as the root of all problems, we recognise that the tide has been slowly but surely turning in favour of giving more column inches and more airtime minutes to Irish sportswomen. So rather than rant away about what's not being done, we've decided that for this, our first ever episode, it would make a refreshing change to acknowledge what is being done and talk about how we can play our part to help ensure that increased media coverage of our nation's sportswomen becomes the new normal. You can download this podcast at castaway.media forward slash fair game and you can follow us on Twitter at fair game cast. Of course, you can't have media coverage without journalists and broadcasters. So for this episode, we're delighted to be joined by two women who are on the front lines of sports journalism in both broadcast and in print day in, day out. Sinead Kassan is a sports reporter and presenter with TV3 and also a columnist with the Irish Independent. Her razor-sharp opinion pieces have long been a central reading for us, often tackling the issues with which Irish athletes and broadcasters contend with head-on. Kate Rowan is a journalist with both national news publications and governing bodies of rugby, as well as co-author of Six Nations Two Stories, which charted the Irish women's rugby team's championship triumph in 2015. It's a firm favourite on our bookshelves. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) Welcome along Sinead and Kate, we're delighted to have you. Delighted to be here. Delighted to be here. So kind of as as a starting point, um, just kind of to gauge where we're at for women's sports, 2015 was kind of widely regarded by many as the year of women's sports. There were so many just newsworthy stories and so many athletes just elevated to that key role model status. What have been kind of the most recent highlights for you two? Well, I think the year started out really well in terms of when the Women's Gaelic Players Association was formed, I thought that was a really important organisation in terms of getting a voice 
to stand up for women's uh, footballers and camogie players in our country. I think we really needed, and I was actually at that launch that day uh, in January last year. I remember talking to Aoife Lane, who was the chairperson for the Women's GPA. And one thing really stood out for me in what she said. She said that women don't really tend to stand up for themselves. We kind of have this attitude, I think, sometimes of our isn't it grand? Sure, it's fine. It'll do us, you know, let's get on with it kind of type thing. And it just, it it reminded me of myself, actually. That'll be kind of my attitude sometimes as well in terms of, oh, it's grand, it's fine. And you're kind of just wanting to just get on with things. And I think that's what women kind of do sometimes. We tend to just accept what we're given. And that's why I think the formation of the Women's Gaelic Players Association was such an important way to start 2015 in terms of having a voice there for all those players who need a voice for to stand up for them in terms of you know the facilities and all the rest you know fixtures and all the rest I think it was really important that that was formed and I really think that started off the year in a really great note in terms of getting improving the standard of facilities and all the rest for our, our female GA players so I think that really kind of started off the year well for me as well but also I think you know you just look at the Cork uh, Camogie and uh, football team I mean they really I mean it is incredible Incredible what they have achieved, especially the Cork uh, football team. I hate the word ladies, by the way. I'm just going to say it now. It should be called the women's. <laughs> Let's just get it football. out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Ladies are so quaint. But besides that, I think the success that they have achieved is incredible. To win five in a row is just, they have to be one of the best uh, female sports teams ever in this country. So I thought that really was um, a standout achievement for me as well in 2015. Mm-hmm. What about yourself, Kate? Well, I suppose because the book, <laughs> I'm going to have to say um, the Six Nations campaign, but a similar to what Sinead was saying about the development of the game, it was the first year the women's 15s was in the high um, in the high yeah. performance human, unit or the um, it stepped up to that level and it was in with the sevens girls. So there were girls who were amateurs, lots of Neve Briggs, Nora Stapleton, Paula Fitzpatrick, Heather O'Brien, but they were training with girls now who were part of a professional Olympic programme like Hannah Tyrrell, um, Louise Galvin, and ex um, Sinead yes. Noel from GAA. Yeah. And um, so to have that, that was a really, really big developing, a big step. But then for them in the year, what that they thought was going to be something of a I suppose, kind of a transition after doing so well in 2014 World Cup. But as part of this, they had a change of coach. They now had Tom Tierney, who'd replaced with a brilliant uh, Philip Doyle. And um, this kind of people, it's going to be a transition. I remember being at the Six Nations launch in 2015. And, and even compared to, I wasn't at the launch this year, but I looking at the two kind of comparatively on TV, there was so little. Um, the, there wasn't a press conference for the women. They just were kind of brought out amongst the journalists. And if you wanted one, you could grab one. Whereas everyone wanted them this year. And that's based on the success. It's success breeds success, both in terms of the achievement on the field, but what's being done off the field. But even on that, like, I mean, the media coverage and the exposure that the women's team have enjoyed is far greater now. The IRFU now set aside media days, you know, specific media days, whereas before you kind of had to request an interview and of course they're always very forthcoming with that for the past two years and now this year as well there are specific days put aside actually it's generally during the down days now for the men so we're all able to go to the women's media day which is so important because people want to hear their stories and what I also think has been brilliant is the fact you know the the book that you wrote as well Kate and also let's say if you look at the book Mary White wrote about Relentless uh, the Relentless it was called which was an amazing book and such an insight into that brilliant Cork 
Cork team. But it's good to see, you know, books as well being written about the achievements of, especially in team sport. We've seen it in the past where, you know, individual athletes like Sonia Sullivan, Derval Rogue. But I think it's really important as well for team sports in this country that their achievements and that their success is written about as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, look, to take it back to where it all began, what was your pathway into the world of sports journalism? Um, well, I was always into sport anyway from a very young age. Um, I think I started running from the age of five or something like that. So, And uh, uh, my uncle worked in the Irish Independent, so he used to cover events like the Olympic Games and all the rest. So, And every time he used to come back, I even remember from like LA 84, he used to always bring his stuff back. And I used to think, oh my God, that is an amazing job. I want to get into that. But um, so, yeah, I suppose. Um, so I always had that interest from that side from him. But our, our family was just really into sport. Like I did athletics when I was younger. Athletics would have been our, our main sport in our family but we did everything just Gaelic football soccer camogie hockey rounders tennis it was just everything so we just had a which was good because in athletics it can be quite an individual sport even though we did relays um, as well it was good to have that kind of team environment of you know being involved of playing with you know other females and all the rest so and what I also think was good about athletics as well growing up was the fact that and it was only something that my father pointed out even a few years ago is that we always trained it was like girls and boys trained together mm-hmm. so we we, were all, we grew up in this environment and again it, it was only when it was pointed out to me that I realised this where boys and girls trained together where it didn't matter if you were a boy or girl and if you won a race you were still given the same kind of compliment uh, and if you, you were a boy or a girl it, it didn't matter so we that was just kind of the environment that I kind of grew up in It you know everybody's success was you know um, talked about and all the rest and it, that was just that was the back that was the kind of backbone of where I kind of came from and I suppose when you hit kind of journalism then you realise well why isn't it like this for you know everybody else then as well so um, yeah well I went to UCD did um, an English degree and then did a master's in journalism DCU so but it was always sport and it's funny people when I started in sports journalism be like do you want to stay in sport do you not want to move into news and I'm like no no sport is what I want to do you almost have to try and convince people that it, you know sport is what I want to do that is why I'm in this game I've no interest in anything mm. else but uh, is that something Kate you um, mine was similar but different um, I wouldn't have been um, a very talented athlete I'd be the furthest thing from it but I grew up um, my grandmother who again wouldn't have been a talented athlete um, she was actually a dressmaker the the the, fir- the last person you would think was sports crazy always had her hair done very glamorous but she was sports nuts and I used to go there like I suppose instead of going to a crash or after my my mother worked as self-employed and worked as a designer and was busy so I used to go to my granny after school and oh, during the summer and kind of like very early memories for me were watching Wimbledon and and the Olympics and I remember watching Wimbledon with my grandmother at about the age of six and looking at Sue Barker now I didn't realise Sue Barker had been a tennis player but I remember seeing her interviewing people thinking I want to be her when I grow up and I was hopeless I always loved tennis I was ho- I remember doing tennis in school and kind of being told um, don't keep up the lessons because you're that bad but I just loved it and I originally trained as a teacher and then I went to Trinity to do some further study and I got involved in Trinity News there but I always wanted very even when I was doing the teaching I was very very much aware of I remember setting myself a goal I was like I want to go to a major tournament by the 2012 London Olympics and so I got involved in Trinity News and back then um 
I just rang up the former um, press officer for the IRFU, Carl Richardson, and he has written for Trinity News. Somebody kind of tipped me off on yeah. this. And Carl had never met me before. And I just asked him, I said, can I get accreditation to a game? And so I started applying and just going as as a student. And then I kind of did a pretty bonkers thing in 2011. As a student, I applied to the, it was the depth of the recession. There weren't many people travelling to the World Cup in New Zealand. And I... Um, I applied for accreditation under Trinity News and I got media credit. I don't think it would have happened um, in, in this World Cup. And from that, I picked up my first kind of bit of freelance work with the Irish Independent, which I kind of did till kind of late 2013, early 2014. But the big thing, like Sinead was saying there, um, I I would have gotten a lot of, um, but you're interested in lots of other things. You studied sociology. Would you not like to like be a foreign correspondent? You studied French. Oh, but then the other one I used to get, and it was much more from girls than boys, was, oh, you're covering sport to try and pull. <laughs> and, and I used to get that quite a bit and it wasn't a joke and that was never it was just like this thing I wanted to do for maybe the age of six and I kind of had my mind set on it. So was it always sports women and women's sport you covered or how did you find that kind of angle how did you get get to covering that well uh, yeah. yeah go on Kate, yeah. I don't um I suppose with me it's it's kind of a funny one I would have always been interested in women's sport growing up because you like I, I suppose like for me the Williams sisters were huge for me growing up because so they were cool. Do you know what I mean? When you're, when you're a young girl, uh, yeah, they still are. Yeah, and you the nails, and I know that's not like part of, but you know what I mean. To, as a way in for a young girl who wasn't that sporty herself, you could identify with that. And then I suppose Maria Sharapova, and then I would I love the Winter Olympics. A lot of the winter athletes uh, would have been something um, that would I the, the, I don't know. I always like the exotic um, <laughs> that would have appealed. But then when it came to actually covering sport. Um, men's sport kind of just took over because when you're in college yeah you would have been women's hockey and like the women's rugby and training was very under the radar and I suppose what was I was being bombarded with was, was men's sport and I suppose when you want to be a sports journalist and you're looking at people like Sinead on TV and they're covering a lot of men or uh, Jackie Hurley and yeah there is women there's a lot of men and you could go well I want to in print in written journalism kind of get to the top well the top is writing about the men so like there wasn't the exposure to the women I mean I remember when I was in training and this is like five years ago doing going to under 20s games the women's just it wasn't that I didn't want to do it it just wasn't on the radar there, yeah. but I don't think like when I started out I didn't go okay it has to be men or women it was just sport in general mm-hmm. and um, like for me growing up I suppose there would have been you know because I had a great interest in um, athletics like Sonia Sullivan was you know a a massive idol of mine growing up and I just loved the way she approached things and she was so ruthless and all the rest and I'll never forget sitting down and watching her finish second in the Sydney Olympics in 2000 so it wasn't kind of like men or women it was just sport in general like it didn't kind of closet one off or put one box one off into the other do you know that kind of way so but definitely I suppose for me kind of you know, in athletics, I suppose, you know, I admired the people I used to run with, like, you know, I used to run for UCD as well. And I really admired my friends and my sister and all oh, those other women were there. And like they, to me, became my role models as well. You know, people I knew. And it wasn't just somebody way over in America. It was just people that I was surrounded with. And I love their dedication, especially when you're in college. And, you know, there's so many other temptations besides 
going down to the track on a dirty Tuesday night and running like eight reps of 400 metres oh my god the thoughts of it now <laughs> gives me shivers but you know when I see those other kind of athletes down there male or female I just admired them and I loved what they're doing I loved you know again it was like that ruthlessness that even Sonia Sullivan had so like I suppose the, Sonia would have been like a big you know uh, role model I suppose to me or somebody I really looked up with up to but like then in later life I suppose when the likes of Dervla Rope kind of came along I mean she is somebody who really impressed me I, I was in Gothenburg when she finished second in the European uh, Championships um, when she won silver in the 110 metre hurdles she ran a uh, national record that night 12.75 I think it was and to this day I've never been in a stadium because um, Sweden's uh, kind of star Susanna Kalur was also in the race that day and I am telling you the tension when those girls were on the blocks that time and I suppose because um, I had a vested interest in hoping Dervil was going to do well but I could not believe the way she handled and reveled in that pressure and like you know to finish second she is just somebody um, that will always stand out to me the way she handled the pressure that night and still I've been at other major events but that night in Gothenburg uh, you could almost taste the tension in the air Uh, it was just was a real standout night for me Amazing, and Dervla Rook is, of course, such a, a strong role model in in sports. And in in terms of role models, they're they're just so important, and they're they're key to everything. And I suppose media coverage come, comes back to you know promoting them and elevating to them to that well known status. In terms of kind of outside of work, in terms of what you'd read and stuff yourself, what websites or publications do you think are kind of doing? a really really good job of kind of levelling the playing field in, in there and est- is helping to establish these role models well, to be honest with you I think we're all stepping up our game here I mean I even know from when I started out in TB3 would we have um, you know made or done an LVO as we say you know kind of put a news line in on the, the women's team you know in the Six Nations I don't know I, I can't remember but definitely now over the past few years when the women's Irish team is being made we definitely put that in so I have just known that uh, progression that kind of development in my own workplace that you definitely you know they definitely have their story you put it in like even the media day now for the Irish women's team you know that it's in the diary and you're going to that so definitely the more I suppose it's just grown I do think women's sport is at this stage in in our society that it both merits um, coverage while at the same time it needs to be critiqued as well at the same time so we're just at that sensitive stage I always remember what Fiona Coughlin said after the um, 2011 Rugby World Cup when they were beaten by England in the semi-final Kate you were probably there were you um, you know she always said she couldn't believe um, the lack of criticism the Irish team uh, well the criticism that they didn't get after yeah. they lost mm-hmm. to England in the semi-final compared to the way that they performed against New Zealand they couldn't believe and it's something I spoke to Sophie Spence about recently is well you know they know they underperformed and they did underperform in that semi-final but they didn't get the criticism like they judged themselves on really you know they've really high standards for themselves but we're almost I think there's a fear there of almost criticising women's sport for fear that you're being seen as being sexist no it's, it's actually okay to criticise um, a team who, who haven't performed to the level that they expect of themselves so we just need to take away that fear there as well because it's okay to criticise yeah. them um I suppose I call that mentality um, that happened after the World Cup in 2014 after they lost to England um, the Our Girl Syndrome and it's the girls Our Girls well done patting the back aren't you great and that was something that I'm very conscious of when I've written about women's sport and when I was tackling a project as big as the book that was that there was basically I'm going to use 
three narratives that are storylines that I, I wanted to avoid that had been very popular um, in the me- media up until up until really 2015 and it was that hour girl um, the second one was the well you know what look at them they got all muddy and they play this very tough sport but they, they, they look lovely off the field and they like nice clothes and nice dresses and they wear lipstick and then the third one is a kind of preachy one that oh if you're not into women's sport well you're a sexist you're, you can't force people either um, I suppose those narratives are, are, are falling away those those kind of the, those kind of ways they're, they're, they're falling away and I think a big way that, that can be done um, and I think it's really, really important is that you have both men and women covering women's sport because unfortunately, sometimes if you, it's it's not my, but some men, if they just see a woman covering women, they'll zone off. But if they have men covering the women, um, that it it for it it brings it it brings it to another audience. Yeah, I, I think you know the the most important thing is that you've got people there who understand the sport covering mm. the sport. Yeah. You know, you know, to me, okay, women or men, I don't want to see that. I just want to see somebody mm. there who understands the sport and is able to report on it. And don't be afraid to criticize. I mean, I think really think that's a big thing. Like you should not be afraid to criticize for fear that you're going to come across as being sexist. You're not being sexist by criticizing a women's team. You're actually going to be sexist if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so we've seen some really brilliant advocacy campaigns like This Girl Can and Cover the Athlete garner a lot of attention overseas in the recent past. Do you think there's an appetite for similar output for an Irish audience? How do we get more women involved in sport and how do we keep them involved in sport? Well, I think this woman can, um, is that what it's called? It's This Girl Can. This Girl Can, of course, yeah. sorry. Um, I think is a is a really good campaign on social media. I think it was brought up at a certain debate um, a few months ago, and I think they, they are kind of looking into it. But, uh, you know, I think the one in the UK costs maybe in the region of 10 million sterling. Mm. I'm open to, yeah, to correction on that. But I definitely do in terms of, um, you know, it is good for, you know, on social media, you know, to try and get uh, women out to do more. It's, it's, it's not a competitive thing. It's no. just to get out doing more yeah. sports and yeah. you know I definitely think it's a worthwhile thing yeah. and it's definitely something that should be looked into yeah for I was actually um at um an event called Rugby for All at the London School of Economics I don't kind of know why they asked I don't know yeah it was very posh <laughs> I don't know why they asked me they had Nigel Owens was there and he was tackling homophobia for you. and I was talking about sexism and then there was a panel debate and Heather Taylor from Sport England who was the originator of This Girl Can was there and I really enjoyed talking to Heather because This Girl Can I could really identify with with the bits jiggling and wobbling for people who, who who aren't going to be elite athletes who aren't going to be going for the Olympics because I think if something like that had been there when I, I walk and stuff now, but I got so embarrassed in, in school doing PE and mortified of you know, at that age, mm. and if something like that was around then, and I, I think, I think there should be an Irish version because I think it's so important that women and girls just get into sport for the fun of it. Yeah, absolutely. But I think as well as really important is the little sponsor, sponsorship of the um, ladies' Gaelic football um, as well. I think that is so important for people to see that a serious sponsor like Lidl, who put are going to put in 1.2 million in the first year of their three-year sponsorship. I mean, money talks here, mm-hmm. and I think that is like for other sponsorship mm-hmm. sponsors in this country who are thinking of maybe mm-hmm. you know getting involved in women's sport, seeing a massive organisation and company like Lidl take on that. You know what? And I really like 
liked their uh, uh, lady ball. Lady ball. I thought it was <laughs> divided the nation. Yeah, but, but <laughs> divided fair game cards on us. You know what I mean? I mean, again, like uh, there was an article written around the time of the Women's Rugby World Cup that time, um, and people went mad over it. We love the outrage. We love going mad when anybody's seen to insult uh, women in sport. But what do you do with it? You have your outrage and then you just move on. And, you know, whereas this showed us that, you know, why not use your support? You were outraged back then over this lady ball thing. And why not flip it and, you know, do something with that? Go to a game, maybe. Mm. Do you know what I, mean? I mm. actually thought it was a, uh, it was really, it was really good. I and mean, they just came at it from a different angle mm-hmm. as well. Mm. But putting that amount of money into women's sport, I think, hopefully, will have a domino effect on other sponsors mm. out there with lots of money. You yeah. know, uh, put it into women's sport. On the face of it, I just at first when I saw Lady Ball, I was just so furious. And then when we found out that it was little that were behind it, I was quite cynical about it. And I was like, I hope. I really hope they're thinking of putting like if they're going to throw money at that they really there better put it in behind it though, and then there? now every evening when I when I drive home I'm driving past a double billboard of Sinead Goldrick and Breach yes. Corkery mm-hmm. and the television ad that went out it is absolutely so stunning like a full minute of just that is exactly what having played it for years that is what ladies football is like yeah. and it's just it's just so key and I've just heard people who normally wouldn't have an interest talking about it complimenting it and that's what you want you want to be coming part of the conversation that's it. and they like you know people say that say geez I might just go to a game mm. now like the the National League is in full swing now and they're really plugging it they're on the likes at the back of the RT guide and stuff mm. like that so it's if people would just mm. now Take just take take up the notion that they might just go sport again. Yeah. It, and I, I think one of the one of the down points maybe in in terms of women's sport in Ireland last year was the whole coin toss and um, controversy in Camogie. I mean that was such a downer. I mean here we have an organisation looking for as much publicity as it can gain, and. You know, during that controversy, it was like shooting itself in the foot by having a rule, um, you know, that they had to enforce like that. That was uh, that was a real low point, I have to say, for me in terms of, you know, I I understand they had to, you know, there was loads of replays the previous year. They had to come, you know, to some kind of a decision on how to cut back on replays and all the rest. And it was a rule that all the the county boards knew about and they all kind of passed on it. But it was still it was a low point um, for women's sport last year because it was so frivolous and it was like you know is this what it comes down to now you know the you know the coin toss it wasn't actually a coin toss it was a drawing of lots or whatever but you know it was it was very unfortunate mm, it was it was kind of a, a rock bottom moment I think and it got people talking for the wrong reasons but also it showed like linking back to the establishment of the WGPA like the Cork the Cork uh, Camogie team saying that they were going to withdraw from championship like, that was huge and it's just it it made women's teams stand up stand for themselves up. in but, the worst circumstances yeah, but they were that's what they were forced they to it. do they had yeah. to do and you know what you had to take your hat off to them as well for doing that like there are times uh, you know in anybody everybody's life where you have to take a stand mm. um, okay so that brings us to some of your standout moments. We now know some of your rock bottom low moments <laughs> from 2015. But even just in your careers as sports journalist at a broader level, um, what have been your standout moments, um, your career highlights so far? In big, general, big topic. Yeah, yeah. In well, general, uh, I was in the XL Arena for Katie Taylor's gold medal in the 2012 uh, Olympic Games, which was. Uh, unbelievable again I spoke about Derva Rourke back in Gothenburg in 06 
the pressure on Katie Taylor and you know I think I was outside the XL like for like five hours or something before that I was really early into London that morning and just seeing everybody come in and the excitement and the nerves around the XL arena before she came I don't know how she handled the pressure it was the most unbelievable yeah it was it was it was actually just crazy moment and it's actually crazier to think that we are now just months away from her defending her title in Rio and uh, but I think that you know in particular there was so much pressure on her at that time going into London and the fact that she took it on and still won the gold it was amazing I suppose I'm not going to go for a moment I'm kind of going to just go for kind of I think the whole period of how the rugby has developed since 2013 since that Grand Slam those couple of years watching that and basically there being very little demand for me to do anything on it to you know, two years later being asked to write a book. And I don't mean that in a personal way, but to see that that growth from it being an amateur setup to them being the high performance and to see all the kind of domino effect um, that in terms of, of women's rugby, you know, people, and I'm, I'm going to be blunt about this, you know, had preconceptions. They're falling away. Mm. Every year they're falling away. And to see that happening, it's, it's really, really powerful. And then I suppose... I, I think that, that whole the, the whole legal sponsorship is, is huge because I like Sinead said, money talks and when you have somebody willing to do that and to give them the same treatment as, as the men, um that's pretty huge. Yeah. So I think it's it's the kind of two developments. You mentioned preconceptions there, Kate, and um unfortunately on occasion kind of the, the legitimacy of, of of women as sports journalists is, is undermined and undervalued by just blatant overt sexism. Most recently, of course, the Chris Gale and Mel McLaughlin controversy, which just was just so appallingly disgraceful. Um, ha- it, through your work, have you ever experienced kind of similar scenarios or how, how do you find it best to deal with that kind of ignorance, that I'm going to call it? Um, well, I haven't experienced anything too much now. Um and usually, like you'd say, thank God or something like that. No, no there's no thank God about it. Uh, I, you know, I got the odd comments here and there, but um, no, I haven't. But, you know, I suppose, you know, the more you... Like, I used to be really nervous. Like, when I started out my job, I was really nervous. But I was nervous. It wasn't because I was coming into a male-dominated environment. I was nervous because I was just, you know, starting out in my early kind of 20s and stuff like that. So I never saw myself coming into a... I was never... I would never even notice if I'm the only kind of woman in a press conference. It just doesn't come into my mindset at all like to be honest but and like those nerves I used to have when I started out were just because I was a newbie like to the environment mm. and you know you're constantly looking like I think I'm constantly trying to prove myself but that's just because the way you are as a, as a journalist and you always want to get better so I don't really see it within the wider scale of you know because I'm one of the you know few of us uh, females I don't even li- to be honest I don't even like I, like I wrote a, a column recently on the whole Chris Gale thing I didn't want to write a, an article about it I hate writing columns or articles about it because I wish we didn't have to write about it like mm-hmm. I just kind of forced myself into writing mm-hmm. it about writing about that that time but it's it, you know I put like I do think you know you have to kind of highlight issues if they need to be highlighted yeah I suppose I've had a slightly different experience. I think everyone kind of interprets. um, The print is very, very different. There isn't a woman in rugby in Ireland who's a daily print. Do you know what I mean? There's, There's a fair few of you in broadcast. The only example I can think of is in Australia. There's Georgina Robson for the Sydney Morning Herald. And it's the equivalent of the Irish Times lead correspondent being a woman. And so there's very, there's, in my world, there's very few role models um, in, in rugby. And I, 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 will, I will admit, 
I've had a couple of pretty awful moments. Um, probably the the worst coming um, in Twickenham in 2012. Yeah, I was fairly new to it, and I would have had those newbie nerves that guys have too. But um, a man didn't know him. Well, two odd things happened, and the first thing is so outrageous. People don't believe it. Um, I went in and I had picked up my accreditation. You're just trying to get your bearings. I kept asking people, "What way is it to the media room?" And I was spent about half an hour looking and I ended up in this room and it was really lovely and it was it was really lush and it was I was like is this the media room it looks like a corporate hospitality and this woman was really strong I'll never forget a South African accent said oh thank god you're here and I said what do you mean thank god I'm here and she handed me a waitress's uniform oh, you're kidding me <laughs> no no honestly <laughs> and she said you're here thank god you're here and I said no I'm not here no 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 and and she was hu- hustling me into the kitchen and I was like no I'm a journalist no, no you know you, you're here you're and that's honest that was true and the same day then something else pretty awful happened that kind of really tested my my faith um, in Twickenham there's a very um, actually it was lovely during the, the World Cup this year there was loads of space there's a big spacious media centre but there's a very narrow little room and I was passing by this guy an older guy um, 60, 50s to 60s and I was passing by him and he did like a full body check my my boobs and my crotch and that was pretty horrendous and I like and that's that's honest to God truth and and that that really kind of made me question was I in the, this like what's that's going on and and that has happened and it's real and I I, I mean I had got my bum pinched um on in the Aviva on Sunday I got oh a pat on the bum so for me I like the print I think the broadcast where women are a lot more accepted in print. Um, I studied sociology and there's a I remember reading this study about um, and I was trying to kind of do my, my journalism at the same time and there was this study about women in the House of Commons in the 70s and that's what it's like that's what it was like for women in print now things were changing during the World Cup there were a lot more girls in the mix zone or women sorry um, in the mix <laughs> zone and, and things are improving a lot but you're still getting that old tap on the bum it's not, not right that's disgraceful so Finally, we're looking forward to a really busy year ahead. Um, which sportswomen, teams, tournaments or events are you most eagerly anticipating in 2016? Well, I'm going to go back to Katie Taylor from earlier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's always a banker, isn't she? Uh, no pressure, No Katie. pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I um, yeah, obviously we're all very much hoping that she can defend her title. I think Annalise Murphy has a really good chance as well. Remember, she was in the a medal winning position in London as well. Um, I think she could go really well um, again this year. Um, I, like, do you know, there's just low. I mean, seeing obviously how the women's team get on in this Six Nations as well. Mm. Um, you know, they've got, as Kate said, so much talent in that team. And obviously we're waiting to see how the sevens team goes mm. well, if they're going to get qualification uh, for Rio as well. Mm. Yeah, you're, you've kind of, you've kind of covered the whole thing. I suppose, I think the GAA is going to be really, I think the ladies football could be really interesting because mm. Cork are in a new era now. So, um, being, being like, because I don't, I don't cover GAA day to day. I'm very curious to see how Dublin May, and Mayo, particularly Monaghan, can put it up to Cork. I think that could be. I think that's. I think it'd be also very important for uh, women's Gaelic football for women's ladies, women's with 
yeah. whatever you want to call it, Gaelic football. Um, because, yes, it's great to have a team having him like so dominant the way the Kilkenny hurlers are, but it can cause people's attention to slightly drift. So to have, I think that could be very exciting. Yeah, and I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the support grows as well. I think there was over 30,000 at the... Uh, the football finals, the women's uh, Gaelic football finals was, in Coe Park last year. It set year. the record last year yeah. for the most oh. attended women's sports event in, in Europe. So. Yeah, that, that was incredible. So you're kind of hoping as well, um, new sponsorship coming in, that the support will grow as well. It's something as well mm. for the women's team. Obviously, they're at home against uh, Scotland and Italy uh, in Donnybrook as well yeah. um, in March. So you're just hoping that that support yeah. grows as well because that's what the whole thing is about as well. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, as I said, with, with women's, you're, you need that support mm. as well. You know, it's not just about mm. the game. It's getting people in, it's getting people talking about them and, you know, seeing what the women's team, seeing, yeah. people seeing for themselves um, what women's sport uh, can offer. Mm. Yeah. It is. It is kind of a domino effect, though. It's like if people will yeah. get get off, get out, get out to matches. Yeah, and, and I suppose support. that is, and that is kind of you know. I do think there is an onus on people in the media to bring the stories of these women because I still think, like Kate from that brilliant book as well. There's so we, I you know, I find in women's sport yeah. as well, you really do want to hear their story. Yeah, I remember talking to Neve Briggs just before they won the Six Nations before that game against uh, Scotland last year, and uh, she's a guard down in Limerick, and you know she was out walking the beat on St Patrick's night earlier that week until two o'clock in the morning. I was listening. And this is a few days before, and of course they're. Ex- Accessibility, I must just add, like you can ring up Neve Briggs and you know what I mean? There's just, mm. you know, they do, I suppose they know as well that they must, uh, you know, I suppose they have to, you know, make themselves available. But like just hearing their stories and hearing her talk about like being working late until like two o'clock mm. in the morning, you know, whatever, five days later, mm. six days later, you know, she's got a Six Nations game, mm. which of course they went on to win. So I think I, you know, as a woman as well, want to hear their stories mm. as well, because, you know, for the women's mm. rugby team, they are, of course, amateurs as well. Yeah. And, you know, and I spoke to Sophie Spence about it recently. They come into camp and they've got their work, you know, they've got mm. family. And it's something they're very conscious of as well is, you know, how the women are feeling coming into camp. But I, I think, you know, and it's something they're quite conscious of as well. But that's what I want to know. I want to hear women's stories yeah. as well, um, you know, as athletes yeah. and, you know, their own story then as well. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. I think that's actually can be a way in for people that if you have a story, because I remember Sinead's article about Neve Briggs, that'll get, that would have gotten a lot of people who wouldn't have have thought about it to actually think about women's rugby and switch that match on the telly and and then by watching it what you're hoping for and this was something that the girls talked about a lot is women's rugby isn't the same as men's rugby it's a different kind of game um, because the men's is so defence orientated now some would say it's a better game yeah so <laughs> some would say it's a better game it's more entertaining um, the girls would all say it's their own brand of rugby and it is so entertaining and and the way, like Sinead was talking about earlier, about you forget about being men, men or women. I was at the women's AIL final. Um, I do some work for the IRF, you know, I syndicated it and then out to different news outlets. And it was absolutely terrific game of rugby. You had Neve Briggs opposite Nora Stapleton, opposite Sophie Spence. It was yes. absolutely terrific game. And you just hope that the women's AIL final for, what didn't have a huge attendance, that you would hope because of the... It, if it's in Donnybrook again because of the internationals more women not just women more people boys as well Um, remember Nora Stapleton saying um, after they won the Six Nations last year she went down to do a summer camp in Munster and she didn't think the kids would be interested because she wasn't a Munster player and 
but they all knew who she was. They knew she was Nora Stapleton. She knew she was the out half. And they knew all the scores of the games. And she said they were boys and they didn't matter that she was a woman. It was just rugby. Yeah. And let's get to that point where it's just sport and we have women, men, yeah. everyone following. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well. You want to get to a point where it's just, it's, you're not mm. bringing in uh, someone's sex into it. And it's mm. just about, you know, the, their performance. You mm. know what I mean? I mean, that's, I think, the point we all want mm. to get to here. Mm-hmm. And that's a very good note to, to wrap things up on um, I think lots to look forward to, the, to this year lots of lots more stories of our, our amazing Irish sportswomen to hear so Sinead and Kate thank you very much for joining us thanks for thanks having Elaine us. thanks Emily thank you for listening to this our first episode of Fair Game and thanks also to our guests who joined us Sinead Kassan who you can follow on Twitter at Sinead Kassan and Kate Rowan who you can follow at Kate Louise Rowan and you can follow us at Fair Game Cast where we have a pretty constant stream of news and information about sportswomen in Ireland until next time bye This was a Castaway Media production. Find more great podcasts on our network. Visit castaway.media. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers!